Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. She's back. Uh, and she was brilliant last time. I promise to have her back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the other things she does. She's America's only dual virologist and fertility doctor. Let me welcome back to the show, Dr. Cindy Duke. Hello. Hello, Karen. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wellness Wednesday to you. Okay. Um, question before we get into the fertility stuff, because I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I went online and got my free four COVID tests. That will be mailed to me. I got the approval, everything, all of that through the USPS. And then I'm thinking, can I trust these tests? Like what? <laughs> What's with the at-home tests? Because I had mm-hmm. my only COVID test where they jabbed it up my nose and basically mm-hmm. touched the top of my eyeball. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> I was negative. I was happy. But that seemed to be legit. What is mm-hmm. with the home tests and how do they work? Yeah. So the home test, they're actually still going to swab your nose. And I want to emphasize that because there are a lot of misinformation videos getting millions of views on TikTok and the like right now where people are saying they're swabbing their throats and they're getting positives or they're taking the home test and putting them on the water and they turn positive. But that's simply because of the false positive reaction that can happen. But in fact, these home tests that you will receive will include you needing to swab your own nostrils. So Yes, you're not going up to your eyeballs, but you're going to swab your nostril or your child's nostril, and then you're going to put it on the little thing, drip the little fluid, and you wait a few minutes to see if a line shows up. That's the positive line. It's almost like a home pregnancy test looks, but of course this one isn't pregnancy test, it's a COVID test. And what it's looking for is proteins that are part of the make up the structure of the virus, not the spike protein. This is important to know. So there's no way that if you're vaccinated, you're going to have a false positive if you're not infected. This is actually detecting what we call the nucleocapsid, which is like, if you think of your house and you're building a house, you actually need the frame of the house before you put on your siding and the roof and all that. The frame of a virus is the nucleocapsid. So it's very, very specific, but it's also very conserved no matter what the variant is. So there are people out there who are like, well, how do we know that it's going to detect Omicron or Delta or if a new variant comes about? The nucleocapsid is very stable. It doesn't really mutate or change. And so that's what it's looking for. And it's looking for the actual protein. So the test itself has antibodies against the nucleocapsid. When you swab your nose, if you're shedding virus, then you're going to have nucleocapsid, that frame of the house on the nostril swab. And that's what you're testing for when you do the test. Now, it's not as sensitive as that one that you described, Karen, which is the PCR test, which is they were putting it up your nose and they send it in a special machine would amplify the actual genetic code of the virus. That is still a gold standard test. However, that test takes three to four days to get results back. It does usually require you leaving your house, going to a testing site, all that stuff. With the rapid home test, in so much as if somebody is very early in their infection, they may not be making enough of that virus for them to detect it. If you have symptoms and you do a test, and you're positive, it's a real positive. If you have symptoms, you do a test and you're negative, we recommend you stay home, 
you isolate and you repeat the test in 24 to 36 hours. And the reason is if you test too early, you might not catch enough of that protein, the nuclear capsid to turn your home test positive, but it doesn't mean you're not yet infectious, you're infectious, so you should stay home. Now, could you be having a sniffly nose because you have a common cold or some other respiratory virus? Yes, but the truth is right now, Omicron is the most common respiratory virus circulating in the United States. It's highly contagious. Honestly, if you just ride two floors on an elevator with someone, that's enough to expose you what? if you're in there. Yeah, it's very contagious. And so it's really important to get the test. So I applaud this move by President Biden. I would tell you, we have been advocating for home testing for at least two years now and distributing it. The models looking at home testing have been proven at least a year and a half, two years, other countries were already doing this. So countries in Europe were already doing this. Other places were already advocating and encouraging people home test. There are some places in the world where if you need to get into a restaurant, not only do you have to show that you are vaccinated, you have to show that your rapid antigen test was negative before you can access the the, the mall, the restaurant, wow. et cetera. So it's, I think it's great that he's giving that autonomy to people, but it's important, Karen, like you asked, how do you use it and can you trust it? Yes, you can trust it. You have to swab your nose. Why not your throat? Well, the truth is there are different compounds in our saliva or in things that you may have just eaten that would change what we call the pH in the test and will give you a false positive. So that's why we're encouraging people not to do that. And in fact, when you receive your test, it's going to tell you that not to do the test if you've eaten or drank certain foods within the last 30 minutes because they can give you a false positive. Similarly, if you waste your test and just run it under water, in many places, because water has fluoride and chloride and other compounds that can interact as well with pH, they can give you a false positive. It doesn't mean COVID's in your water. It's not in your water. It's not in your drinking water. It's simply a reaction, a chemistry reaction happening. But you can trust it. 866-801-8255. Dr. Cindy M. Duke. That's where you can follow her. Cindy, Dr. Dr. Cindy M. Duke is here. Um, the mask wearing. You said if you ride in an mm-hmm. elevator with somebody with Omicron, if I have on my mask, d- does that help protect me? Because now you just made me like, I, I was in the no. supermarket. <laughs> I went to the supermarket. Well, the poorly fitting masks don't help. And, you know, we've all seen the people where they're wearing the mask, but their nose is breathing above the mask. <laughs> we've seen the people where they're wearing the mask, but you can look through the side of their face and see the other side of the wall because it's so loosely fitted. So that is not working well. So you really do need the N95 respirators or those masks that have a very tight seal around the face to prevent not only your viral particles escaping when you breathe, but for you inhaling anybody else's escaped particles. So this is why, again, I applaud uh, Joe Biden for saying, you know, we're going to make N95 masks available because they were already in short supply. They are the preferred masks that our healthcare workers use. It's the preferred mask that many people in construction and even certain hospitality roles, the ones who clean rooms and environmental services have historically used long before COVID because they really do give you the best in terms of particle filtration out there. Now, we had a massive shortage at the start of the pandemic, which is part of why we said any mask is better than no mask. 
But right now, when you're dealing with something this contagious, where you don't, you know, with the first variant in China, in Wuhan, they showed that if people sat next to each other on the bus for anything over 10 minutes, there was that chance of exposure if they weren't wearing a good mask. Now we're saying it's minutes. It's not 10 minutes. It's not double digit minutes. It's literally three to five minutes around someone is sufficient for exposure, especially if you aren't vaccinated and particularly if your vaccination is in excess of a certain time frame. Now, you're a virologist, in addition to being mm -hmm. a fertility doctor, and we're going to talk about fertility in a second. In the first hour, we had Iris Latham, uh, Dr. Iris Latham on, who is, I guess we want to call him a naturopath, raw food scientist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of talk about natural immunity, or not natural, but, but building up our own immunity through great health practices. Mm -hmm. In addition to mask wearing, where do you stand on people mm -hmm. doubling down on taking care of their bodies? So if they are, I mean, because naturally we are exposed every day to a lot of pathogens and viruses and things, and we don't all get mm -hmm. sick. I've never had the flu a day mm -hmm. in my life. I've never had a flu shot because in my mind, mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm washing my hands and staying away from people. This is before there was a, a, a Corona. Mm -hmm. I know Corona is not the flu, so I'm, I'm going to take extra precaution. But explain mm -hmm how our bodies react when it comes into contact with viruses when we are super healthy. Yeah. So super healthy or not, I think what people need to understand is when we talk about the immune system, the immune system needs education. And we talked about it the last time, right? Which is you can have your military, you can have some of the brightest minds, your healthiest soldiers, but if you don't actually teach them how to be in combat, they're still going to go into battle very ill-prepared to win the war. And that's what we need to think about when we talk about COVID here and the vaccine. So yes, I'm a huge proponent of eating healthy. I'm a huge proponent of avoiding the modified foods. You know, like I shared last time, I grew up in the Southern Caribbean. I love a good bush tea. I'm always brewing some herbs to help my body cleanse my stomach, boost my, you know, as we call it, microbial health. I'm a huge proponent of that. But I recognize that has limits. And the limit is none of that actually educates my immune system as to what the threat looks like. What it tells it is this is all the stuff you need to build yourself, but it doesn't say this is how you become specialized, right? I was born in the Southern Caribbean. I was a very smart kid, but if I did not go to medical school, Karen and Tanya, if I didn't be, go to school to be a virologist, I wouldn't be that specialist who's talking to you here today, despite my immense potential from birth. And that's what we need to understand. So eating healthy, exercising, being mindful of what's in your water, being mindful of socially what's happening to your community and empowering your community doesn't mean you should not also get vaccinated to protect yourself and those around you. And that's the second layer that many people who right now say, I don't need a vaccine, they're ignoring, is vaccination not only helps you, but it helps to reduce the burden a virus that you may expose someone else who's less healthy than you. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't feel comfortable sitting next to someone who's not healthy as me and saying, well, hey, you know, I have COVID, I'm fighting it because I chose not to get vaccinated. You should have been healthier too, I'm sorry. 
I, I don't think that's the way we as humans should approach each other ever. And so that's what vaccination is. It's an individual thing first and foremost, absolutely. I, I won't lie to anybody in saying, you should just get vaccinated for your community. First reason for getting vaccinated is to protect yourself. Now, I know a lot of people use the flu. The flu actually has a very unique truth to it, which is Karen, if this were the year 1917, 1918, where influenza hadn't already circulated the planet, many of us when we were exposed would also die or get very sick. But the truth is, as humans in the year 2022, we've now had exposure to influenza for the last 100 plus years. We've had, though, for those who are vaccinated, they've had multiple different vaccines to educate their system. We've had different exposures over the years. And we also have very, very effective treatment that has also evolved over time. In 50 years from now, we may be talking about coronavirus, specifically SARS-CoV-2, because the common cold is a coronavirus, and we've all been living with the common cold for a century as well. But SARS-CoV-2 is different. And right now, what we have is people with very naive immune systems who it needs to be educated or else by the time your body figures it out, it's many too times late. too late for a lot of people. Right. So in 50 to 100 years, we'll treat uh, the novel coronavirus would be just the flu or the cold. But it right won't now, be novel. it'll be a, it'll be a it'll different be novel the, virus. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you, because the ice caps are melting and new things are mm -hmm. coming out of the earth that were, were frozen a billion years ago because yes, we don't mess with the. Oh, Mother Earth <laughs> is undefeated. OK, when you were saying off mic that something's going on, uh, what, what did you call it? You said the sixth max. Mass extinction, yes. So, you know, for, six, for those of the us, number six? six, number six, which means that we've actually, if you believe in evolution, we've actually had five mass extinction events on this extinction, planet. like extinction, annihilation, like people of being... loss of loss in the large numbers of species, yes. except in Africa. But go ahead, continue, including Africa, because you okay. know, for example, there was an ice uh, age in Africa. Well, you know, an ice age may, uh, may, may occur in certain parts of the world, but then with water changes, et cetera, you also have loss of maybe the thing that something was eating. So if you lose what you eat, you're going to disappear as well. Okay. If the fish you eat disappear, you're going to disappear as well. You know, two big things happened in the past year, Karen. That's going to blow your mind as well. We also discovered the eighth continent, right? For all this time, we thought we had seven continents. We now know there's an eighth. Anybody can Google this, have the team Google. In fact, we now know that New Zealand is part of a submerged continent. That's the eighth continent that geologists had been searching for for a long time. It's been published in National Geographic everywhere else last year. Um, and now just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science known as PNAS is the data suggesting that we are in fact in the sixth mass extinction event for the planet. And we've seen in the last 30 years, a disappearance of almost 70% of known species. And so they're showing some correlations and showing that it's moving faster than the historical events, suggesting that some of the things we're doing, you know, you talked about the melting of the polar ice caps, which some of it is tied to human activity, our greenhouse emissions, et cetera. Anyway, I'm not here to convince people of it, but they can go read on it and see right. the data. Well, I, it came about because, you know, I was telling Tanya during a break that somebody else had passed that we know. And I said, it feel, you know, I've tweeted, it feels like a slow, uh, slow, weird 
uh, rapture. But I said, I also feel like people are checking out because we haven't yet hit the worst of what's about to happen. <laughs> and because, you know, when you're 80, 90 years old, you're like, yeah, I try to be here for that church finger. I'm out. I'll see y'all on the other side. And I can't blame them. But mm-hmm. I feel like those of us who are here are going to be fighting something that we have never experienced before in our lives. And I'm not just talking about Jim Crow racism or whatever. Like, there's something about to come down the pike. And I'm like, how do we get ready for it? Because, unfortunately, uh, yeah. I'm going to be here. But then you said think- the sixth extinction. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's true. So I, I'm not just being hyperbolic with that. People can read about it. I think one of the things that strikes me to your point of us fighting something new, is we are in an unprecedented time in social media where things can go viral without betting. I'll be honest with you guys, yesterday, when the first person I know shared the link saying, you can go here and get COVID tests, I said, well, I went to the USPS site because it said USPS.com in the first link. And it wasn't on the, the United States Postal Service's actual site. So I messaged back my friend. I said, how do you know this isn't a phishing thing? I'm not going to go put in my information until I know for sure that this isn't some massive phishing experiment. You know, you'd think that we'd all be at a point where if we heard the government put something out, we're immediately like, yeah, let me just type my info in right quick and get my four tests. But my first thought was I've got to make sure that this isn't a security breach where we're all going to be putting in personal information and then here later, oops, it was supposed to be tomorrow because it was actually supposed to be today that they opened the site and they Mm -hmm. opened it a daily. So I understand when people are like questioning of things because we do live in an age now where things can travel so fast, including misinformation. And so I applaud you, Karen, for making sure that you bring the people on to correct things, make sure it's accurate and answer the questions because I understand the population is very curious and rightfully so because things are different. There's a question on Twitter and it says, could you tell us about the sterile EO on the COVID squabbing using ethylene oxide, a type of gas that is said to be a carcinogen? Does it give you brain cancer? That's the question. No. So I would say the first thing that we have to understand is when you're ex- in terms of exposures, exposure is based on what we call parts per billion. And is there anything re- Anywhere near the number that could cause cancer, no. It's just like, you know, if you read a packet of a sweetener right now, um, this is in no way about a brand, but the Wait, but pause there for a second, because there are a lot of people that use those pink packages and those blue packages every single day, three or four of them. And go Mm -hmm. ahead, Dr. Dr. Duke. And in those people, you know, if you read it, it actually contains something that in large studies, if you had a truckload of that stuff, cause cancer in animals and has not been disproven to cause cancer in humans. But one packet per day is probably not gonna amount to a truckload in a year or two. But it's certainly why we tell people be mindful because you may have a packet of the pink stuff, one packet of the blue stuff, but then your noodles that you're buying also has a packet of something else and another thing and another thing. So that adds up. But my point is none of these tests have anything even close to what's even in these packets of pink stuff. So basically it's okay to have some things that may be poisonous as long as you're only having a little bit of it. Well, first of all, it's not poisonous, but it's not actually something that's going to be in your body. You're going to swab, take it out and put it. So the ingredient is actually what's going on the test kit itself, not on your body, just to make it clear. I just want to make it clear. 
All right. Uh, another question uh, online since we're on Twitter. Hi. Uh, Ron Sconey wants to know, ask Dr. Duke to explain how a virus mutates into another version of itself. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. So mutations happen as just normal part of viral replication, meaning making more of itself. Mutations are always happening. Some of the mutations happen to be significant enough that they may change a little bit of the function. And that's when it becomes a variant of concern. So every single person who's infected is gonna make some variants. The thing is, how long are you infected for? Which means how many variants you get to make and how many of your variants that you may get to make new versions of themselves. So hence the reason for advocating for vaccination so that your immune system can help you clear the infection really quickly. Because again, the goal of vaccine is not to prevent infection, even though that's the big misinformation that's being spread out there. That is, oh, this vaccine was supposed to keep me from getting infected. No, the goal of vaccination is to prevent you from getting very sick by preventing the virus from going viral in your body. So the question I have about the variants. So are these variants just mutations that are coming from the universe? Is the variant like the universe is just creating and creating, or is it interacting with something in me? And in me, it is going to make these variants, and in you, it might make those one. Or is this just yeah. spontaneous well, it's, it's, creation? It's, it's spontaneous, literally due to the enzyme that we call polymerases that read the code and make new versions of it. It's like if you took three kids in, in a room, in a class, and you had them read, if you take three five-year-olds, right, and you just give them a text that they've never seen before, and you tell them to read it, each of them is going to make it sound a little bit different, because it's the first time they're seeing these words and putting this together. The same thing happens in every cell that is newly infected and is making new virus. Most viruses don't have what we call a proofreading capacity. So they have something that makes, reads the code and replicates it, but they don't have a very good proofreader. And what I mean by proofreader is like when you're you know, typing and you notice something, you can backspace and correct it and come back forward and keep typing. They have some capability, but not very good capability because the whole purpose of a virus when it gets into a cell is just make as much of it as possible. It's not about making it perfect, it's get as much out as possible. And so now I understand your question, Tanya, because there's one myth out there. So it's an opportunity for me to address a myth. There's a myth out there that if you're vaccinated, the antibodies you have then put pressure on the virus that causes it to lead to more dangerous mutations. That is not true. And the antibodies are not in the cell when the virus is replicating and doing that basically typing and proofread, not proofread process. So I wanna make it very clear that the so-called myth about antibodies creating a pressure that's leading to more variants is not true. The truth is if I took a virus and started replicating it in the lab, not a human body, just in cells in the lab, I'm gonna keep making variants the same way your body will, because it's not me doing it, it's just as the virus makes more of itself, some of them are gonna come out different. It's the same way, Tanya, if you had seven children, unless they all came from the same egg, they're not all gonna come out looking identical to each other. Hmm. Thank you. All right, speaking of eggs and things, um, (laughs) 866-801-8255, America is experiencing a sixth straight decline in fertility for the sixth straight year. And I thought there would be a baby boom during COVID Mm -hmm. because people were inside, Mm -hmm. you know, with not much to do. 
but just the opposite. And it's not just here. Japan is also mm-hmm. going through a fertility crisis. Welcome back. Tanya's here, Dr. Cindy Duke. Uh, before I went to break, I talked about the six straight years that America's birth rate has declined. What does that do to? It's due to a number of things. And it's happening in America and it's happening in many so-called developed or first world countries um, for a number of reasons. And, you know, I I see you making the eye because yes, I don't, I don't go with this whole first world, second world. Certainly I've been told I was, I was born and raised in a third world country. I disagree with that. We're on one planet, one world. Um, What we have is countries that have differences in resources, either by force or by structure. Um, I think, one of the things that has been happening and what I saw, particularly in the last two years where everybody was saying, oh, we're going to get a baby boom because people are home is actually people were scared. You know, they weren't sure what would this pandemic do to their their children, because we weren't yet sure, even though folks like me who understand the coronavirus class of family early on said, we don't expect this to cause birth defects, but people wanted to see for themselves. So many people were waiting. As a fertility doctor, I can tell you many of my patients opted to just freeze eggs or embryos and wait until either there was more data about the safety of pregnancy um, amidst COVID, but for other people, economics, right? If you don't feel economic, economically stable, if you're not sure about where you're going to be economically, you know, at least half our population is not going to actively try to conceive. Why do I say at least half? In the United States, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned, right? They're sort of the oopsies. So it's the other 50% where people are planning and deciding when they're going to do it. And so then those were the people who were also actively saying, I'm going to hold off on this. So that would mean a big drop if 50% of your population is holding off on getting pregnant. So it has nothing to do with biology. Some of it is biology. So let me talk about that side. I like that prompt. So simply put, if we look 50 years ago to now, and we start off first with those who were born with ovaries, our female fertility as we class it, uh, we're choosing to get pregnant for the most part older. The older we are, the less likely we are to conceive whenever we want to. And the higher rates of miscarriage that we have, et cetera. So that means lower birth rates in general. We're also having smaller families in general. That's in part because we're starting later, but also people are just having less children. So like I'm the granddaughter of a woman who had 12 babies. her first half of her children, everybody had eight kids or or more. By the time they got to her 12th kid, which is my mom, two children. And many of us were the grandkids and great grand were having one or two. That's it. So we're certainly also not replacing our human populations in many parts of the world at the same rate that the society and economics actually require. In fact, it's projected that by the year 2070, we're going to have a shortage of human beings in countries like the United States, Japan, the United Kingdom, unless immigrants come in and make lots of babies. So that's the too short for what? What won't we be able to do? A shortage? Well, so for example, if you think of social security, right? If you think of social security, you actually need a certain number of people to constantly be working to pay into social security. If you also have another age group who's taking from social security. So right now, if you think of our baby boomers who were born in a generation where seven to 
12 of them were being born to a household. And now my generation, we were born to two or three people per household. There's just not enough of us working to replete social security enough for the baby boomers to have social security that is there for them. And then you look at us, my generation, the Gen Xs and millennials, we're having one, maybe two children maybe too. So definitely the replacement rate, that's one example. But if we don't think of social safety nets, just think about the number of people needed to keep economies running, to keep what you call your gross domestic product on the positive. You need a certain number of people to be in the workforce working yeah, and producing. About capitalism. You're talking about capitalism, like social security. If everybody had a 401k, they'd have more money than social security was ever going to give them. Yeah, True, so but I, even if you look at socialists, so I like your I like your statement, but even those of the socialist view, even China had to lift their one child rule because mm -hmm. they realized they actually weren't replacing their population enough. They also realized they had a huge shortage because of the one child rule. People were opting for sons, not for daughters. So they were aborting daughters or adopting them out of the country. So currently China, which is also facing a birth deficit, has a birth deficit that's also a result of their one child policy because women are in short supply. You're so right. for every one woman, they have like tens of suitors for one. Wealthy families are paying big money for their son to find a wife because they have a shortage. And they're going to Africa. Uh, but anyway, uh, pause, 866 <laughs> They are. Uh, also, Japan, Tanya, you could look at Japan's, the, their economy, their economic outlook has dramatically, they're actually mm -hmm. the second slowest per capita GP, they have the uh, growth among all the G7 countries mm -hmm. since 1991 because of their decline in population. Their economy mm -hmm. has really shrunk mm -hmm. as well. And, uh, if, you know, we need people. We need, no, we pe need we people. Need, we need Whether we're capitalists or socialists, we need people. People need people. I just people. worry about the, the people in capitalism that have to be at the bottom, the quote, quote unquote mud sills. Yes. So if we could eliminate the mud sills and just have everybody that's here be able to have mm -hmm. enough so that they can yeah. live Life. Except those are the very top wouldn't let that happen. So all that happens is the mud cell layer will ascend to the mm. next lower rung, right? Mm. So that's the inherent problem of disparity and inequity that we're talking about. And that you actually see even in the so-called socialist model, it still ends up with layers, um, but there might be some suppression of the conversation about the layers at the bottom. Um, but bottom line is humanity, if I speak from a human perspective, no matter what country we are in the world, it turns out we do need a certain number of people to have children and to have children at a certain rate. There are currently countries, including Japan actually, where there incentivizing their people to get pregnant you're going to get special perks if you have a baby okay i'm not mad at that 866-801-8255 that's why we should anyway uh dr cindy duke is here and uh i do appreciate uh, who, who i know you have a gift you know the, the gift to communicate seems I, I feel like our our current medical schools they don't teach people to be well-rounded so we have a lot of folk that know how to do specific things, but they don't know how to relate to human beings or they don't know how to talk to people. You know, they can do their thing, you know, they can pass their tests, but medicine is holistic, which mm -hmm. is why I think it's, mm -hmm. it's powerful that you're both a virologist and a fertility doctor. And I know last time you were here, you talked about why you do both. 
mm-hmm. but if you could remind us what what is the connection between virology and fertility for you yeah i like that question because to most people it's not obvious and i understand why um but for me from a very young age it became very apparent that humanity and fertility and how we come about is very important. And we just highlighted that conversation. But also as I went through school and education and growing up where I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago, particularly growing up in Tobago, it was very evident to me from a young age that viruses and our infectious diseases actually play a really big role in our outcomes. So for example, in my own family, my eldest aunt, the first of 12, she had a viral infection as a child known as typhoid fever. And that changed the course of her life. So she went from being a very smart, productive kid to not even being able to exit elementary school. That was sort of where her education ended. You know, I myself had measles as a child and remember understanding that being vaccinated against measles helped me do better than many of the other kids in our community at the time who didn't get vaccinated, who passed away. I know for many people right now, they don't understand the role even of safe vaccines because they haven't seen the time where viruses in particular would decimate childhood populations in America and in the world. There was a time in the United States where when polio was rampant, that's another virus, you can have a perfectly healthy kid, very athletic, doing well, and suddenly now your kid's at home in an iron lung now in a vegetative state for the rest of their lives. And I think it's also why we see a generational divide, right? It wasn't super hard to convince those who are 65 and older to go get vaccinated once it was explained to them. And once they understood that this was safe and it wasn't an experiment. But for many people who are younger than that, who've never seen polio, never seen smallpox, The truth is most people around the world, including the US, if you're over 47, you have a mark on your, usually your left shoulder that lets you know you were vaccinated against smallpox, which is, it was a scar they had to give you and all that. Because smallpox was devastating. Smallpox was so important that George Washington, before he crossed the Delaware, made sure his troops were inoculated because he knew the British troops were endemically infected with smallpox. And if his American troops got exposed, it could wipe out his fighters, right? So he made sure they were inoculated, which also means vaccines have been around for hundreds of years. People are saying this is only recent. That's not true. It's been around for hundreds of years. But and I think it's some of them things. came from Africans uh, who, who brought that technology with them from. They did. We had lots of technology and lots of understanding right? Either directly from the Africans who were brought here as enslaved people, or from the Europeans who interacted with Africans and learned some of the information and then brought it back and, you know, changed the course of history with who they claim it came from. But the the truth is, I want people to know that they go together. For me, viruses play a big role in understanding miscarriages and understanding how people stay pregnant. We understand that viruses can be used for gene therapy to also help correct certain things that have long plagued certain families. But in this current context, it means everything when we explain to people the benefit of vaccine, we're seeing, you know, I was on a call earlier today, Karen, with the health officials in my home island of Tobago, and we're talking about the fact that they're seeing a really high number of pregnant women with COVID. 
in the hospital? And what should be their angle for talking to the community? Because we unfortunately still have a very low vaccine rate amongst the most vulnerable there. And so we're talking about how do you communicate this without scaring people, but making sure they're aware of the reality, which is that, you know, the hospital has limited number of beds, limited number of operating rooms if there's an obstetric emergency, and also what happens when somebody's COVID positive and needs isolation. So I think people, I, I, this is why I'm out here talking. It's why I'm out here hoping that there are other people who are equally effective and vetable communicators who can also feel free to come out and speak and tell the truth about what we need to tell our communities because it's our communities who are hurting the most. Yes. I come from an island where greater than 90% of the population is of African descent. And yet, you know, I have people there who are actively listening to misinformation that's harming them, people who are watching family members die and still refusing vaccination right now, despite having lost some of their most important people and their breadwinners. That's because one of your um, brethren's cousins left testicles, friends thing <laughs> went, went viral. That's why. Uh, it that did, it, it did, uh, which was unfortunate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Lee in Atlanta, 866-801-8255. We have a limited amount of time, so make your question pithy. Lee, thank you. Thank Hi. you, pithy. Very pithy. I love, I love you. I love you. Love both oh, of you. So here's my question: you. What is the, um, in terms of transmittal of the of the virus from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated? What is that window? That's one question I've never heard anyone answer. So what is that window? How long is that window? And is, and, that, and that window is just as critical. All right, in terms of you know, you know, the unvaccinated transmitting disease to the vaccinated and vice versa. Thank you, Lee. That's a great question, Lee. So the bottom line is, yes, the unvaccinated and the vaccinated can transmit virus. The difference is for how long and how much, okay? So if someone is vaccinated, meaning your immune system's been educated, it knows how to recognize and fight early, your infection time or your time or your contagious is probably going to be somewhere within 72 hours to five days at most. Whereas somebody who's unvaccinated, we're talking 10 to 14 days, 10 to 14 days. It's a big difference. So it's not that getting vaccinated guarantees you can't transmit. You cannot transmit. It's that you limit how much you transmit. But it's why even if somebody is vaccinated, they should still be wearing masks still be washing their hands. If you're having symptoms, stay home, quarantine. Don't just say, oh, I was vaccinated, I'm good. I think that's part of the mis messed up messaging that went out there, which is that people thought if they're vaccinated, it's a free for all. Now, it's not because the vaccinated are now the cause of the spread of infection. That's not true. But I'm not gonna sit here and say that people who are vaccinated cannot spread because that would be a lie. Mm. The people who are vaccinated, they too can shed viral particles in the early stage of infection. The difference is the duration of infection in terms of them actively shedding virus, et cetera, is more than 50% shorter 
than what it would be in someone who's unvaccinated. And how much virus they're shedding is also going to be less than the person who's unvaccinated in general. And especially if you're unvaccinated, immunocompromised, your infection may go on for three weeks. Now that said, I wanna let everybody out there know, we do have a lot of things that have happened even since I was last on the show, right? Like the new treatments, the Pfizer and so forth. So let's be sure about that too. Oh my goodness, you've done it again. Dr. Cindy Duke brought clarity and sanity to a world that desperately needs it. Cindy M. Duke, Dr. Cindy M. Duke, thank you so much for being here. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.